Um, but in chapter 5, there's some more things that he's heard about. Exactly where this report comes from, he doesn't say, but it appears to be really common knowledge. And uh, he's pretty concerned about this. So we're really shifting gears now to dealing more with sexual sin and those kinds of things. Almost in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have kind of a common link. So chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus... I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay. It is actually reported. Think about that word actually. It's like he can hardly believe it. It's actually reported. I mean, can't deny the fact, but really? You know, there is an immorality that's worse than the Gentiles. The standards of morality of the church must not sink below the standards of the unconverted in, in the world. You know, that made the church notorious among those who are notorious for their moral behavior. You can't have that. It torpedoes our influence. Among other things, he says, it's a reported sexual immorality among you. You know, I mean, this is one of their own. They're tolerating this. They're okay with it. And, and what is it? Well, someone has his father's wife. Perhaps he says that to emphasize the degree of immorality. His father's wife, his stepmother. And uh, what was their attitude? Oh, they were still prideful. <laughs> They were still boasting in their spirituality and self-satisfied and, and felt good about themselves. Not even something as outrageous as this has humbled them. An easygoing attitude towards sin is always dangerous. You know, if there's anything that should have humbled them, it was this. Wow! And you're just okay! Paul is very upset. He said, you should have warned this man should be removed from among your best. So he says, I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who so committed this as though I were present. And you think about what he's saying right there. He's saying that, you know, he is like with them spiritually. Like, he's already decided what action must be taken. And he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus. That's pretty solemn. You know, that's pretty like weighty. When you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. That's solemn and weighty again. You know, this is something. They're assembled together in the name of our Lord Jesus with the power of our Lord Jesus. Deliver such a one to Satan. Now, that's an odd expression for us, I think. Deliver such a one to Satan. But think about the fact that there are only two... Well, 
Gods and Satan's, right? There's nowhere else you can be. And this man, by his membership in the church, appears to be in God's. But by his behavior, he's in Satan's. They need to put him out of the church so that it becomes clear that he has been relegated, relinquished to Satan's sphere of influence. He's, he's out in the world now. He's not in the body of Christ. And they should do this when they're assembled. So I assume a solemn announcement to indicate this man is no longer a part of us. He belongs to Satan. You do that with such a one. I think he uses such a one in part to say, this is abhorrent. And in part to say, anyone like him, such a one, someone like him or someone else who's committed some flagrant act of immorality. And the purpose is for the destruction of his flesh. I believe here he means his sinful activities. Not his body, but his lusts. And, and the idea is, by delivering him to Satan, we are hoping that that shocks him and grieves him to the point of repentance so that he destroys the flesh, the sinful behavior, so that he can be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. When, he, when this sin is tolerated and he's just accepted as a normal member in the group, then he doesn't necessarily realize the seriousness of what he's done. By solemnly delivering him to Satan, the goal is that he recognizes what he's done, he, he destroys the flesh so that he can be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That all seems really radical to us. You know, it's like, wow, that's kind of mean. Well, it's not. It's for his salvation. And we are awfully comfortable with sin. You know, we have pretty blunted sensitivities to sexual misconduct, particularly. I mean, it doesn't seem that bad. Lots of people do some pretty perverted things. And so, you know, I mean, you know, he's a good person. You know, he's that kind of an idea that we have a lot of time. We need to have stronger standards, stricter standards, more holiness, more outrage when people who belong to Christ behave like this. Now again, the goal is that he be saved. This is not to forever condemn him, but with the hope that this will bring him back to faithfulness to God. Thoughts and comments? Yes? Well, I assume this was not trying to be denied. I mean, you think about situations that we have. There are plenty of people, say, shacked up together openly without marriage. And they, they don't try to hide it. Uh, sometimes there are people in affairs that are open about it and flaunted even. Or, or whatever. I'm guessing that there's been no attempt to try to deny this at all. If there had been, if there was some question about it, I think Paul would have named his source again. But in this case, apparently, this is just everybody knows this. Everybody, I assume the man himself was not trying to deny it. 
Um, certainly we must be careful not to just believe a rumor. We need to be fair about examining the evidence and uh, you know all that. But in this case, apparently, it's just a widespread, uh, widely understood thing that everybody knows. Other thoughts? Hey. I'm imagining once they received this letter, they would read it from the congregation. But they haven't kicked him out of their assembly yet. That guy's in the room, period. You know, the, the person that took the bottom line. Um, I, I wonder how much that, that this letter affected him once he heard this, you know. It should have. Evil like this. 
And he uses the symbolism of the Passover. In the original Passover, leaven was to be gotten rid of. They wouldn't have time for the bread to rise when they got the order to leave Egypt. Leaven then becomes kind of a symbol of sin. And so uh, the, the idea that before they observed the Passover, they were to take the leaven out of their house, throw it out, and during the Passover and the seven-day feast of unleavened bread, unleavened bread, they were not to have leaven in their houses. Well, the Passover involved the sacrifice of a lamb. You remember that the original Passover, back in Exodus, they put the blood of the lamb on the door so that God passed over that house and didn't kill the firstborn. So every year, as a memorial, as a reminder, they would kill and eat a lamb. And they would, before that, have the leaven out of their house. Well, think about us. In a way, the Exodus is our story. Because we were in slavery, in a land of darkness. And the Lord flee, freed us by the blood of the Lamb. And we, were, we passed through the water. We were baptized. They were dryly baptized, but they had water all around them. And we came into our wilderness, awaiting the time when we crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. So we're in a very parallel situation. Now he says, the Passover lamb has already been sacrificed. That's Jesus, and you still got left. Sin in your midst. You're right. You should have already cast out the leaven. Don't let this contaminating influence continue to be present. Thoughts and comments? You kind of remember the if they were found with leaven in their household, they were supposed to be excluded from the camp of Israel. Okay. Kind of thing. So it's, they're kind of excluding themselves by not excluding the leaven. It's a serious matter. They can't just joke about this. Having the leaven in the lump is just not right. They need to get the leaven out. Okay, uh, 9 to 13. Thing being falsified, uh, 
season. Is that maybe a better word? Uh, so contact with the world is essential to evangelism. And, and so he doesn't mean you don't associate with immoral people in the world. He said, really? You know, you have to go out in the world. Which uh, may have been a right comment of his on the uh, moral condition of society. But, uh, you know, he's commanding something here to be done with the immoral brother. That if you were to do it with the world, you'd have to leave the world. So this is a pretty extreme thing. You know, you, you couldn't just not have contact with people in the world. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't live. You couldn't survive. So he said, actually, I wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, any so-called brother who uh, is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or a swindler. You don't even eat with him. So you need to avoid any kind of social contact. You take a brother like this man living with his father's wife publicly in an assembly. You deliver him to Satan. You indicate that he belongs to Satan. And then in practical everyday life, you refuse to have social fellowship with him. Now, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians says, you don't regard him as an, an enemy. You admonish him as a brother. You still try to work with him, but you don't continue to play games with him and have fun with him and eat with him and socialize with him and treat him like he's normal. Uh, and uh, he says, well, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? I'm not talking about doing this for those who are non-Christians. Do not judge those who are within the church. Those who are without, God judges. So God wants us to judge those within the church. You know, probably the world's favorite Bible verse is don't judge. Judge not, you know. But, but they don't understand that there are some kinds of judging that God expects and other kinds that he prohibits. Hypocritical judging in Matthew 7 is wrong. This kind of judging is commanded to judge in the sense of evaluating and taking the wicked man away, that's the kind of judging God wants. And, and he expects, he says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, the Old Testament ordained the death penalty for people who do things like this, so God's being very merciful in the New Covenant. Uh, but, but still, he demands that uh, decisive action. I want you to think about what would have happened say if the Catholic Church, a few decades ago, had practiced this kind of thing with sexually immoral priests. You know, all the scandal there was with priests uh, having problems with altar boys and so forth, you know, and, and the higher-ups knowing about it in some cases, and just transferring them to another diocese. You know, those kind of things were outrageous. Obviously, you don't always know what people in a congregation are doing. But when you do know, and you just kind of veil it and ship them somewhere else, and you don't deal with it in the way God says here. You create the kind of scandals and uh, the kind of lack of trust that that churches do. In a case like this, you can't just say, "Oh well, you know, we'll try to hide this. You know, hope it goes away. You know, we'll just try not to draw attention to it, or we'll just kind of accept it." None of those things are proper responses to behavior like this. Paul's clear. You know, deliver him to Satan and don't associate with him. Thoughts and comments here on chapter 5. In what sense is this arrogance? 
Good question. Um, you know, I mean, I think just the fact that they are still bragging about how spiritual and knowledgeable they are, and yet they don't think they have this kind of thing going on. But maybe it's not just that this is arrogance, but that they have arrogance in spite of this. You're arrogant instead of mourning. You're prideful and self-satisfied instead of taking this seriously. I think it's not so much that they're arrogant about this. I think it's more that they're arrogant in spite of this. How in the world can you be priding yourself on what a great spiritual group you are when you tolerate this? Good question. That. In verse 9, um, you refer to the previous thing that he wrote. It seems to be misunderstood something that he wrote previously. I think so. What specifically do you think he misunderstood? Well, it looks like they misunderstood which immoral people they shouldn't associate with. <coughs> that he meant the Christians, and they thought he meant all of them, even non-Christians. That's the way I take it. By you know, you're always trying to kind of read and think, okay, what are what they thought or what they asked? We don't have both sides of the conversation. That's what it looks like. Yes. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. 